Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our fortnightly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today are Semantic Threat Researchers Kevin Sovey and Bridget O'Gorman. In this week's podcast, we'll be discussing espionage attacks against government agencies in Hong Kong and the latest on whether the Sodino Kibi ransomware operation has really gone away or not. But first, let's turn to a piece of research that we at the Semantic Threat Hunter team put out this week uh, about a number of recent attacks by the Budworm Espionage Group, uh, one of which is particularly noteworthy. And fortunately, we have Kevin with us here today, who was the principal researcher on this blog. Um, and it's his first time on the podcast, and he's going to tell us all about it. Uh, so welcome, Kevin. But I guess before we talk about the blog itself, can you maybe give us um, a little bit of background information on Budworm, like how long have they been around and, and what kind of attacks they've been involved in? Sure thing. The threat actor Symantec refers to as Budworm, which is also known within the cybersecurity community as APT27, Emissary Panda, and Iron Tiger has been in operation since at least 2013, and has typically targeted organizations in government, defense, energy, and aerospace, with targets in the United States, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia. Budworm may be best known for a campaign in 2015, which targeted and compromised high-value organizations within the U.S. government, including U.S. military defense contractors and intelligence agencies. More recently, in January 2022, Germany's domestic intelligence service, the BFB, issued a warning concerning ongoing attacks which were linked to Budworm and involved the targeting of German businesses to steal intellectual property and business secrets. The motives for the group tend to align with cyber espionage and data theft, and Budworm is believed to be of Chinese origin. Thanks, Kevin. And Jumping off from that, um, I guess our blog mentioned several recent attacks that we've seen Budworm attempt, but the attack that I guess we really call out is one on a U.S. state legislature. Um, why is that significant? That's right, Dick. The activity we observed against the U.S. state legislature occurred in July of this year. The attack is really significant, not only because of the target itself, but also because it involves the first confirmed Budworm attack we've seen against a U.S. entity going back at least six years. As mentioned, the Budworm Threat Group has been around for quite a while, and previously U.S. organizations were a primary target for the group. But more notably, this victim marks the second time in recent months in which Budworm has been directly linked to attacks against a U.S.-based target. This is significant because seeing a shift to targets in the U.S. could mark a change in direction for the threat group. Yeah, and as you just alluded to there, um, this isn't the only attack on a U.S. organization that Budworm has been implicated in recently. Yes, that's correct. So earlier this month, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, otherwise known as CISA, published an alert which stated that multiple APT groups had obtained access to an unnamed defense industrial-based organization as early as January 2021 and some of the groups had maintained long-term access to the network. It was during their investigation that CISA observed the actors installing the Hyperbro backdoor on the victim organization in March of 2021. In their review of the Hyperbro activity, CISA cited the same CyberArk Ufinity sample used for DLL sideloading that Hyperbro and Hyperbro TTPs 
that we have also observed in recent budworm attacks. Okay, um, I know the attacks against the U.S. are, are particularly interesting, uh, particularly for, for listeners in the U.S., but um, it's not, they're not the only organizations that we have seen budworm targeting recently. Yeah, that's correct. So over the last six months, um, our investigation observed budworm targeting a government organization for a country in the Middle East, um, also a multinational electronics manufacturer, and most recently a hospital in Southeast Asia. Okay. We've talked a lot about you know, the targets for this group. Could you maybe give us an outline of, of what a typical budworm attack involves and how do they compromise organizations and, then, and what tools do they use? Sure. So in recent attacks for initial access, we observed Budworm exploiting the Log4j vulnerabilities in Apache Tomcat logging services on unpatched Microsoft web servers. The actors would then drop web shells on the compromised servers for remote access. Some of the tools we observed Budworm utilizing on their victims included Fast Send Scanner or F-Scan, which is a publicly available scanning tool for network discovery. Lasagna, which is commonly used by attackers as a post-exploitation credential dumping tool. Also, IOX, which is a publicly available port forwarding and proxy tool that's written in Go. And Fast Reverse Proxy, or FRP, which is a reverse proxy tool used to establish a connection between command and control and local servers. Uh, as mentioned previously, we also observed Budworm abusing the endpoint privilege management software CyberArk Bufinity to conduct DLL sideloading. The sideloading of CyberArk Bufinity is not a new technique for the group, but when we started digging into recent telemetry, the activity is what led to the discovery of additional Budworm victims. The CyberArk Bufinity application was dropped onto the victim system along with a malicious DLL, which decrypts and executes the malicious payload. The payloads we observed include Hyperbro, which is a custom in-memory backdoor used exclusively by Budworm since at least 2019. Also the PlugX or Core Plug backdoor, which has been used by multiple threat groups for a number of years, and Cobalt Strike Beacon, which is very common. Yeah. Um... You just mentioned there that one of the techniques they're using is DLL sideloading. Um, could you maybe explain to us what that is and why attackers use it? Sure. Uh, DLL sideloading is a technique which involves an actor placing a malicious DLL in a directory on the victim system where a legitimate DLL is expected to be found. The malicious DLL dropped by the actor is generally renamed to a file name, which is used by a legitimate sideloaded application when it is executed in the same directory. The attacker will execute the sideloaded application, which then loads and executes a malicious payload onto the victim system. So DLL sideloading, the technique itself is not new. Uh, unfortunately, many older versions of legitimate applications are vulnerable to this type of attack, and attackers have been using DLL sideloading to load malicious payloads on their targets for a number of years. Specifically for the budworm victims we identified, the legitimate sideloaded software wasn't previously installed within any of the victim organizations and was dropped by the actors themselves so that they could load their malicious payloads. All right. Well, thanks a million for coming on the podcast, Kevin. Uh, I hope uh, it's the first of many times. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate uh, it. 
All right, let's move on to you, Bridget, um, because um, you have also been involved in some of the blogs that we've published this week, um, uh, including a blog about um, some malware that uh, is called Spider Loader. Uh, yeah, um, so we published that blog just this week there, Tuesday, I think. Um, so yeah, we spotted a spider loader malware on some machines on government agencies based in Hong Kong. And the spider loader malware, it's not brand new. It was first publicly discussed actually in March 2021, briefly in a blog by Sonic Wall, with the researchers saying at the time that they had seen the malware being used for targeted attacks on information storage systems. They'd seen the collecting information about corrupted devices, executing what they describe as mischievous payloads, uh, coordinating script execution, and CNC server communication. So those initial findings then were expanded on pretty substantially in a very detailed um, cyber reason investigation that was published in May, May this year, May 2022. And that details a long-running campaign that the researchers dubbed op- Operation Cuckoo Bees, with the activity um, we saw believed to be a continuation, basically, of that activity that was documented by Cyber Reason. Um, and Cyber Reason said in their report that the activity they saw had been ongoing since at least 2019. They said the researchers said that the attackers were able to exfiltrate hundreds of gigabytes of information and that they had targeted intellectual property um, developed by the victims, including sensitive documents, blueprints, diagrams, formulas, as well as manufacturing-related proprietary data. And they also stole data, um, the researchers said, that could be leveraged for use in future cyber attacks, such as um, credentials and customer data, net information about the network architecture as well. So the spider malware that we observed being used was also used in the activities that Cyber Reason documented, which is why we were kind of able to link the two sets of activity. I see. So will you be able to tell us a little bit more about what we saw? Yeah, sure. Um, so the victims that we saw were government agencies in Hong Kong, as I said, with the attackers remaining active on some of the networks they infected for more than a year. Um, and we saw the spider loader malware being deployed on victim networks. Um, and while we didn't see the ultimate payload in this campaign, kind of based on the previous activity um, documented by Cyber Reason and Sonic Wall that was seen alongside the spider loader malware, it just seemed most likely that the ultimate goal of this activity was intelligence gathering. Um, and similarities between this activity and the activity that Cyber Reason documented included use of a modified version of an SQLite 3 DLL, run DLL command line example that was seen in Cyber Reason research also seemed consistent with some of the command lines that we saw. And there was also the CryptoPP C++ library was used in both sets of activity as well. And those various similarities let us conclude that this sample was also a version of that same spider loader malware Cyber Reason saw. And we did see various variants of this spider loader malware on victim networks um, all displaying largely the same functionality, but obviously different variants are probably being deployed in an attempt to most likely to avoid detection. Um, the malware as well, interestingly, also cleans up the artifacts it creates. It overwrites the content of dropped files before deleting them, for example, and those steps are, you know, all most likely being taken in order to prevent that activity being detected and analysed. Um, and while we don't see the final payload, as I said, the use of spider-loader malware, that crossover, it all indicates that the motivation there is intelligence gathering. And the fact this campaign has been ongoing for several years with kind of different variants of the spider-loader malware being deployed during the course of that time, it does indicate that the actors behind this activity, they're 
very persistent, very focused actors, and they have that ability to carry out kind of stealthy operations on victim networks that continue for quite a sustained period of time, which can make them quite um, quite dangerous, I would say. Okay, um, and let's move on from espionage to ransomware, our old friend. Um, <laughs> you wanted to, to discuss uh, a little bit a report that came out last week um, that claimed that the ransom cartel may actually have some links to the uh, Reval, aka Sodino Kibi ransomware group, which uh, disappeared some time ago. Yeah, this just kind of caught my eye because I was kind of working on some ransomware related content recently. Um, but this was a report from our colleagues in Palo Alto. And I thought it was interesting because there has been a bit of a chat over the last couple of months about whether or not um, Reba Sadanukibi is really gone or if the actors behind it are still operating in some way or maybe kind of making a comeback. So Sadanukibi, which is developed by a group Semantic Tracks as Leaf Roller, was really one of the kind of major ransomware actors for a good couple of years there, I would say. But it was forced offline last year in 2021 um, following law enforcement action. And this action was most likely kind of driven or prompted by a major attack that the group had carried out that compromised um, IT management server software company Kaseya in July 2021. And that attack ended up having a huge impact due to the fact that Many of Kaseya's customers were managed service providers with many customers of their own, of course, which led to a huge number of organizations becoming compromised. Um, with final estimates, I think, for that attack being around 1,500 organizations that were affected. So Revo went offline initially shortly after that attack occurred and because that attack garnered an awful lot of attention. Um, it did resurface then again in around September that year, but then it shut down in October 2021 um, seemingly permanently following what a law enforcement takedown, essentially. Um, and then in January this year, we saw several members of the Regal Gang being arrested in Russia um, in what was at the time a very unusual example of a cooperation between international law enforcement and authorities in Russia. Um, of course, that um, activity preceded the Russian invasion of Ukraine, so we'd be highly unlikely to see that sort of cooperation happening again anytime soon, I would imagine. Yes. Um, but then we did see a new sample of Reval in May this year um, being spotted in the wild, and that did lead to speculation that the ransomware might be back. However, there hasn't been very much Reval ransomware activity since then. There's been sort of occasional, um, it's been seen occasionally being deployed, but certainly it hasn't returned to anything like that sort of impactful position it once held on the ransomware landscape. But Ransom Cartel then, they first, that group first appeared, or that ransomware, I should say, first appeared in December 2021, so just a month after Reval's takedown um, and prior to the members being arrested. And, I mean, we do frequently see this happening at Ransomware that, you know, one disappears and they quickly rebrand as another. I mean, the sort of dark side black matter Conti would be a very kind of obvious example of that where you know black matter disappeared but Conti appears you know like a couple of weeks later really um so it wouldn't be unheard of for something like that to happen and when Ransom Cartel first appeared it was a bit unclear whether it was a rebrand or Reval or an unrelated threat actor who was reusing or mimicking some of the Reval ransomware code because there was a bit of crossover there but um according to this new blog by Paolo Alto 
Um, the Ransom Cartels Palo does have some similarities and does have some of that overlap with Reval South New Kibi. But Palo Alto concluded that the Ransom Cartel operators, that they likely did have some access to some of the original Reval South New Kibi source code. However, they concluded that um, it's unlikely that this is kind of a direct successor to Reval or that it's authored by any of the original kind of lead roller gangs since the attackers appeared not to have access to the obfuscation engine that Reval used to encrypt strings and hide their API calls. So I guess they didn't have access to the more, I suppose, sophisticated parts of the sort of ransomware operation. Um, instead, Panorama's concluded that the ransom cartel likely had some relationship with Reval prior to um, Reval sort of going offline, so potentially a former affiliate or someone who used to work with the group, but it doesn't seem it's, it's a direct successor to the Reval Southern Creepy group. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking as well when I was reading that blog, you know, maybe former big affiliate or something like that. Um, but, uh, but you know, or, or else, like, uh, apparently a lot of them were arrested, you know, so maybe it's kind of a rump of the group or something, but uh, definitely doesn't appear to be a direct successor. Yeah, some of the remaining group members. I mean, it's interesting. There's been a lot of disruption with ransomware groups, really, when you think about it in recent months with fallouts and shutdowns and things. So Yes, indeed. It is, yeah, it is yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, but they keep coming back. They keep coming. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, that's about all we have time for this week. Uh, so we'll wrap it up. If you've been enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of the action in future. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel. And if you'd like to read our latest research, um, including our blogs on Spiderloader and Budworm, you can check out our blog, which can be found at semantic-enterprise-blogs.security.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We're going to be back again in two weeks time, but until then, thank you and goodbye. Bye.